Good evening. We'll call to order the April 1, uh, 2019 meeting of the Astoria City Council. In keeping with uh, being April the 1st, I just want you to know there is one seat in the room that has a surprise under it. <laughs> and sometime in the next hour, you'll figure out which of these in that, in that chair. A roll call, Mr. Harrington. Chancellor Irvin? Here. Chancellor Brunson? Here. Chancellor West? Here. Chancellor Robert? Here. Mayor Johnson? Here. Well, it's a real pleasure to be able to um, read three proclamations tonight. And what I'll do for each one is I'll read the proclamation from here and then walk up to the, uh, the podium for a presentation. If anyone wants to take a picture, please uh, come up and take a picture. And then, then if the uh, those receiving the proclamation wish to make any remarks, you'll have the, uh, you'll have the podium. Uh, so the first is for the week of the young child. Proclamation, whereas Lil Sprouts Academy, along with Astoria Parks and Recreation and the City of Astoria, in conjunction with the National Association of the Education of Young Children, are celebrating the week of the young child, April 8th to 12th, 2019, and Whereas these organizations are working to promote and inspire high-quality early childhood experiences for our state's youngest citizens that can provide a foundation of learning and success for children in Astoria, Oregon. And whereas teachers and others who work with or on behalf of young children, birth through age six, who make a difference in the lives of young children in Astoria deserve thanks and recognition. And whereas uh, public policies that support early learning for all young children are crucial to young children's futures and to the prosperity of our society, now therefore I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of Astoria, do hereby proclaim April 8th to the 12th of 2019 as the week of the young child in Astoria, Oregon, and encourage all citizens to work to support and invest in early childhood education and programs in witness whereof I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this first day of April 2019, signed uh, me. And so I'll now come and welcome Erin Redding and her staff. So thank you all for everything you do at Will Sprouts. And that's for your staff, and the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, I will make this very brief, because I'm sure you guys have a long meeting this evening. Um, I just want to thank you all so much um, for the support that we've received for the week of the young child next week. Um, this is a new celebration for us but it's something that we should really be celebrating every single day. Um, I do want to recognize that while Little Sprouts is spearheading this um, celebration next week, it's not just a Sprouts thing, it's not just an Astoria thing, um, it's a community thing. And so I do want to recognize um, Dan Gaffney, who's here present with us as well. Um, I consider Dan Gaffney kind of a early childhood crusader in the area, and so thank you for being here, and he may have some words to share as well. Um, I especially want to thank my staff behind me, um, and this is just a very small portion of um, the teachers that I get to work with every day, and um, they are absolutely incredible and truly, truly, truly invest in these kiddos' lives and really make a difference in who these little ones are becoming. 
Um, so thank you for all that you do. Um, and just thank you to the city for continuing to support us and allowing us to do the work that we do. Thank you. Whereas, sexual violence is an overarching term for an array of behaviors, both physical and non-physical, that constitute unwanted or age-inappropriate sexual activity. And whereas, sexual assault affects Oregonians every day, whether as a victim or survivor, family member, friend, partner, neighbor, or coworker. And whereas, Oregonians of all gender identities may experience sexual violence, including an estimated one in four adult women who has been the victim of rape, and nearly one in five men who has experienced sexual violence, and whereas compassionate, courageous, and dedicated individuals and organizations have supported victims and survivors and worked to prevent sexual violence for decades, and whereas sexual violence is preventable, and we all have a role to play in encouraging healthy, nonviolent interactions, relationships, and social norms. Now, therefore, I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of Astoria, do hereby proclaim April 2019 to be Sexual Assault Awareness Month, in witness whereof I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this first day of April, 2019, signed Bruce Jones, Mayor. by Nakisha Womble, Executive Director of the Class of Casaburg. Proclamation. Whereas every child is precious and deserves to grow up in a healthy, safe, nurturing environment, free from the dangers and harmful effects of child abuse and neglect, and whereas child abuse and neglect impacts our entire society and can cause traumatic psychological, emotional, and physical harm, resulting in long-term economic and societal costs, and whereas child-focused prevention and intervention programs offer positive alternatives and outcomes for children and encourage families to develop strong verbal ties to their communities, and whereas child abuse prevention succeeds through partnerships among parents, child welfare agencies, mental and physical health care providers, schools, law enforcement agencies, faith-based organizations, businesses, and community members by fostering loving, supportive, and violence-free homes, 
And whereas all citizens need to be more aware of the effects of child abuse, neglect, and prevention in order to encourage healthy parenting and healthy communities, now therefore, I, Bruce Jones, Mayor of Astoria, do hereby proclaim the month of April 2019 as Child Abuse Prevention Month. In witness whereof, I have herewith set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this first day of April 2019. On the schedule is a presentation and annual report from Class of Economic Development uh, Resources from CEDAR, and we have Kevin Lee. Thank you, Mayor Jones, counselors, good evening. I'm pleased to give the annual CEDAR and Class of Community College SBC report this evening. So, uh, CEDAR and the um, Class of Community College, uh, the SBDC, we're uh, united in the sense that we have, uh, I'm the only director in the state of Oregon that oversees the EDC and the SBDC. Um, it's very unique for our county and it's been um, that way for at least uh, the last uh, 12 years. I've been the director since 2011. So the mission of CEDAR is to deliver business-driven economic development services to create, grow, and retain Classic County businesses with our vision of a thriving community and quality jobs for Classic County residents. We have the goals here. We had a board retreat at this point about a year and three months ago where we updated our goals to strengthen traded sector and large employer business growth. And just to a caveat there, large employer in Classic County is 10 or more employees to support small and mid-tier business growth and entrepreneurial development, which we see a lot of here in Astoria. Workforce development, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, through my presentation. Organizational growth of CEDAR and the SBDC and attracting business relocation. Roughly 95% of our time here is spent on business um, expansion and retention, about 5% on um, recruitment and relocation. That's also an important um, aspect of, of what we do. On the SBDC side, we're part of a statewide network. There are uh, 19 uh, centers in the state of Oregon. 17 of us are associated with the 17 community colleges in the state of Oregon. The other two are Eastern Oregon University and Southern Oregon University. We have uh, 44 offices throughout the state. We have our office in Seaside and here in Astoria where we do uh, our, our advising here. Um, our vision is to help build Oregon's best businesses. And the mission is the uh, SBDC is Oregon's preeminent provider of effective and innovative business advising and training services. So I wanted to recap for 2018 our results. 
Uh, we did serve here in Clatsop County 197 uh, clients. All of our advising is always free and confidential, except for our SBM program I'll talk about in a future slide here. We uh, had 81 clients that we have met with for five or more hours. That's a benchmark that the SBA, who's one of our key funders, uh, looks at, that we meet with the client for more than five hours on an annual basis. We had 1,220 hours of advising hours, 41 training events with 437 attendees, we do all of our events, uh, training events here in Estoray and in Seaside, and we try to do it. We do it's worked out very well. We have our AM sessions in Seaside for the most part, and PM here in Astoria. We have 31 jobs created, retained capital formation. That's helping clients um, achieve funding for their business. 2.2 million, 11 business starts, 51% uh, women-owned business. 63 of our 197 count were women-owned. And our Hispanic uh, advising has grown exponentially. We serve 33 Hispanic businesses this year versus 21 the year before. Hermia Cho is our, is our um, advisor for that. Fast-growing community here, very, very important. Our, I, what I handed to the counselors this evening and to and the mayor is our um, annual report. It's uh, from 2017. Just please take the time to go through it when you have some time. 35 years of building Oregon's best businesses. You'll notice, again, I talked about that our advising is free and confidential, uh, but you'll see in the book here that Fort George is listed because they've given us permission to talk about them. And further back in the testimonials, there's another one of our local clients that has allowed us to use their name, which we're very, um, it kind of gives the street credibility to well when you have the actual client saying this, this is the great work these folks do. Otherwise, the contract is signed with our clients that it's all confidential and for the advisors and the director as well. Our small, our small business management program is a program that's been at Classic Community College for many, many years. We have its a cohort model. Jessica Newhall is our lead advisor for the SBDC. She's also our program facilitator and manager this year. We're doing our cohort this year here up at the uh, Lexington campus. We meet every other week. Uh, Jessica, it's, it's great because we utilize the local talent here. Uh, HR, uh, operations, finance, we try to, we have guest speakers and presenters. And this allows the businesses to learn more about operating their business. We have the one-on-one -on -one advising, which we call NECAP to NECAP. But this is a very structured nine-month program that we're, it's our signature program. And there is, a, uh, there is a fee of this for $695 annually. We do the math over nine months. It's, it's, it's a great bargain. And we have the biggest, the largest cohort. Um, in my six years overseeing this program, we have the largest cohort this year that we've ever had. So we're, and Jessica is just doing a phenomenal job. This was last year's budget, just to give you a snapshot of the county sponsorship, for example. The, the top left, that's the revenue. The bottom left is the expenses. And this was the approved budget from the Cedar Board uh, last year. We're all obviously in the middle of our budget planning for this next year. But you see the county sponsorship of 70000 And by the way, that's targeted dollars that has to come from video lottery funds for economic development. We've had those funds for many, many years. I thank the city of Astoria for their ongoing support. Down below there, it speaks to the uh, $10,000 that the city of Astoria has contributed over the years. And the, um, all the five, all five cities in Clatsop County contribute. We also have Clatsop Community College, the third line down there, that's called MATCH. In order to have an SBDC center, it's, that's a requirement from our SBDC statewide network, so that's $40,000 cash match. And that again provides the, um, the salary and benefits portion of that portion that allows us to do the pre and con con confidential advising. Private sector sponsorship. We started this six years ago. We're so thankful for the 70 businesses and um, who have contributed. 
um, on the private sector side to allow us to expand the uh, confidential advising that we do with, uh, we have four part-time advisors in addition to Jessica currently. The federal and SBDC grants, that's the SBA and Business Oregon. You see that's 34% of our budget, and that was the carryover from last year. The expenses, for the most part, are the way our wages and fringe for the staff. Rent, we do pay Classic Community College uh, $750 a month to have space in Seaside, where our office is at. We have uh, our part-time consultants, uh, etc. So that's the budget. For this year, we're going to be requesting um, and asking for the same contribution from the cities and from the counties. So. Um, again, thank you for your past support, and, and I would hope for your future support. Uh, some of the highlights of 2018, uh, very timely that I'm talking about this uh, tonight. We had our uh, event in 2018 at Patriot Hall, our Cedar Awards event. We have the uh, next event coming up here. All, everybody in the, in the audience, and you all have received an invitation for April the 11th. It's next week. It's next Thursday. It's at the Seaside Convention Center. We're a county-wide organization, so we've worked really hard to make sure that we're rotating around the county. So it's going to be great. We saw Mayor Jones and, and others that we are working on the nominations, many, many great nominations from um, individuals and people. So uh, that will be awarded uh, next Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Please come. And again, I gave each person invitation there on your um, on the dais there this evening. Thank you our sponsors also who, who helped us uh, do this. Job and Career Fair uh, that was held this year, um, 2019, since we're now in kind of in the past tense, if you will, that happened March the 6th here in Astoria. We had 80 employers. Uh, we had over 700 high school students that attended. We had it then open to our class of community college students and to the general public in the afternoon. It gets bigger and better every year. Um, we have the recap from the employers and from the schools and overall, in, I'd say 95% of the feedback was very, very positive. There's always parking issues and miscellaneous, but we're, we're so pleased. And a lot of volunteers work very hard on that. So Oregon Employment Department and myself spearheaded, but we have dozens of volunteers <coughs> on that to help our, to help our youth and for our, our job seekers. And also for people just looking for potential career changes. We, we really encourage that. People to come and take a look about other uh, jobs and careers that are here in Clatsop County. We have our Class of Works program, that's our paid internship program. Anna Stamper, many of you know, uh, she is, she's in year two now. We're so pleased with this program. Last year we had 17 interns with 11 businesses participating. This year we're right in the midst, we had a, this year we had 132 applicants, including 48 from Estoria High School and 22 from Classic Community College. We had a bad number, uh, Anna required that they set up a voicemail and drill down and get back to her. We got that number down to 68. And the employers are right now in the midst of, in, of interviewing these students and also our college students. And we're already aware of several hires that have happened this week. Um, as, a, as an aside, uh, CMH is going to be having eight interns here in Astoria. That's one more uh, hospital group, please with that. So the internship starts uh, June 24th. Uh, Classofworks.com is the new website. And I give Anna a lot of credit. She's doing a great job with communication and that this, this is a model for the rest of the state. We're, we're now having to spend a lot of time encouraging people to come up and take a look at what we're doing versus her going to visit other people. We're looking to come and, uh, and take a look at all the um, activities. Um, I've been the chair of the Forestry Economic Development Committee for years and the vice chair this year. Uh, we have, uh, we hosted, some, some of you attended, the 20th Annual Class of, uh, County Forestry Tour and just uh, 
reiterating the importance of the forest product sector to our economy. 30% of our economic base in Classic County. $30.2 million was distributed last year from the Oregon Department of Forestry and Harvest, which go to our schools, law enforcement, roads, Classic Community College, um, etc. So other cedar highlights, and again, I'm happy to answer questions as we go through here, but just uh, we have partnerships with the city, the county, Colpath, which Mayor Jones is part of, as well as uh, city manager Estes, uh, Business Oregon, the regional solutions team. Uh, we meet on an every other month basis with Colpath. We meet monthly with, I meet with the city managers, and we have, we have a lunch work meeting, the Bredetons and the other city managers, as well as county management, etc. Um, I'm on the Travel Oregon North Coast Tourism Studio, which we're focusing on sustainable tourism efforts. And uh, the committee that I'm on is, is headed right now, chaired by um, City Councilor Tia Montero out of Seaside and Commissioner Pam White um, from Classic County. I'm the Enterprise Home Manager for Classic County, serve on the Housing Technical Advisory Committee. I know that we're all in the midst right now of waiting anxiously to get the reports from the consultants. I know they're making appointments with each of the with each of the cities, um, city councils and county commissions to give the report, and then there'll be, I'm sure, a lot of public uh, comment time. And looking forward to moving forward on that. It's been a, a long process for everybody. Um, I'm on the Chamber of Commerce uh, board as an advisory member and on the ADHD Business Development Committee. I've been for uh, seven years. And I'm proud to I'm the statewide chairperson of the Oregon State University Extension ECAN Committee, which is Extension Citizens Advisory Committee. It was just down in Salem a week and a half ago. Meeting with uh, Senator Johnson, I uh, met with Representative Mitchell, and uh, for for 2018-19 and, and for this, this next year, I just wanted to highlight the uh, private sector members. Again, they really are. We're so thankful of the businesses that provided, in addition to our public uh, sector sponsors like the City of Astoria. And um, again, appreciate it. We had a little little cruise ship there, the picture there, and just thank you for uh, for for what we do. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to present it. Can I answer any questions as part of the, uh, the update this evening from any of the counselors or from the mayor? Thanks, Kevin. I have a couple questions. So yes. forestry is 30% of the economic base. What is that, how's that measured? It's measured on the, uh, the number of jobs uh, that, that are generated. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's the jobs, it's also the wages, where the wages in that sector are like double mm -hmm. the county average. So it looks at that also, and some of some of the information came from Oregon Forest Product Research Institute that we got. So, and the uh, the harvest I like to talk about the fact that just the uh, the community college. I mean, these are millions of dollars that are allocated for roads and for our schools, and I'm sure you've all seen the um, and if not, I'm happy to provide the spreadsheets. We give an update annually to the uh, to the commissioners, county commissioners, and just kind of break down where the dollars go uh, by school district. Um, the college, roads, the sheriff's department, etc. So, and, and one other question: I know you were part of the um, five-year economic development strategy a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Advanced Astoria. Advanced Astoria, and you have the, the five batches of economic activity that are recommended to focus on: the yes. maritime sector, and the medical and education, and the uh, microbrewery, and uh, entrepreneurial businesses. I think. Yes, yeah. entrepreneurial home businesses. Yeah. I forget there was a different name. Yeah, so exactly. Um, how, do you have any recommendations for us as far as just tracking and the progress of that and facilitating that? Well, I, th I think to, on the facilitation side, I think just to, you know, I, I know that you're working on your council goals for this year, and I would say that we can, we can work on that targeting with the, on the entrepreneurial side. 
with like you know, clients that we serve, for example, on the SBDC, because throughout there on the Advanced Health Story Initiative, uh, talk quite a bit about CEDAR and SBDC assisting. So I say that could be tracked. The maritime side, I mean, we talk a lot about um, employers like WCT Marine, who are growing by leaps and bounds. That's a trade sector employer. I just got an email from them today asking if I knew of anybody that was looking for part-time work, like from a college student perspective. So look at those jobs that are added. I'm sure they, they would be very happy to share that. Um, I think we can definitely come up with quantifiable benchmarks that we can all look at and, and set objectively. And then look at, you know, six, you know, uh, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and, and see how we're, how we're doing on progress. I'm also very anxious along with you to, to be moving on that. Thank you. Uh -huh. Anything else? All right, well, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Kevin. Uh, next is reports of councillors. Uh, Councillor Rock. I have a very, very short report since I've been going both the time. Uh, I got to go to the uh, Chamber's uh, Lower Columbia Tourism Committee meeting uh, before I left. And it was a meeting in which they had all of their high-powered folks in from uh, their marketing and, and PR firms. And uh, I was impressed with their presentation and what I was especially pleased with was to see that they do have sensitivity marketing people do and PR people do is the idea of overcrowding and um, you know limits in terms of uh, uh, infrastructure and so on. So they're trying to target very specifically and target around events and target around seasons and so on. So I was glad to see that. And then of course I got to attend our work session and in between uh, I was in a place where it got down to 90 degrees in fact. Quebec City, Canada. It's quite lovely. Great, thanks. Well, I'd like to, coming off of Roger's comment, I felt like our work session that just happened was fantastic. Um, I couldn't believe, Mayor Jones told me that City Council didn't always do these work sessions, which surprised me because I feel like it's when we actually really get a lot of work done. So uh, just again, thanks to my fellow counselors for that. and. Um, will be, I, I know I'll be posting uh, on my Facebook page kind of the, the draft of the goals, um, which was really exciting to be able to look ahead over the next couple of years at what our priorities are. Um, also to, become a, to come up with a vision statement, which uh, I thought was really important that we didn't have before. Um, I also got to go to the library benefit at the Fort George uh, benefit night, and that was it was a great turnout. There was a ton of um, people there. Met um, Chief Spaulding's wife, and uh, it seems like everybody was having a really good time. Um, also met with Chief Spaulding, uh, who always I feel like spends a lot more time with me than he probably has. Uh, just talking about a lot of questions that I have, um, including the ordinance, which we're going to get to a little bit later. Um, and lastly, uh, had a really good meeting with Sarah Liu from the ADHDA, just to kind of uh, touch on the pulse of downtown right now. Um, and uh, ran into Brett yesterday as we were rehearsing for <laughs> Jane Barnes on his neighbor's front deck. So that is, uh, I don't know, I'm a little hesitant to uh, mention that I'm in that. It'll be my fourth year, but it's for a great cause and, and it's a 
lot of fun. So that is this Saturday. If there aren't any pictures on your Facebook, it didn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Councilor Browns. Thank you, Mayor Jones. Uh, I really don't have much. It's a pretty quiet couple weeks for me. Uh, Join Rogers for the Columbia Tourism and uh, got to see that presentation again. And um, and you're right, there is some, it's kind of an interesting group that they're really, looks like they're honestly trying to promote Astoria in the wintertime um, between season and then scale way down for the summer, hopefully, hopefully slowing down. Um, and the work session I thought was very productive too. And I agree, I, I think that. Uh, when the council has an opportunity to have a work session, we have an opportunity to have a conversation um, and just kind of get to know each other and and work our way towards uh, hopefully a good policy. So that's all that. Thanks. All right, Councilor Harmon. Just to, not so much a report, but I'd like to follow up on what uh, Kevin Leahy was talking about, particularly the small business development program. Um, my first husband, the late Richard Fensack. We uh, opened Bikes and Beyond in 1988, and I'd say about five years in, we were seriously in danger of going under. And so kind of as a desperation move, we enrolled in the Small Business Management Program and took classes and had a, a business advisor come into us. I can't remember if it was every month or every week, but we got a lot of time, no charge, and um, this was at least 25 years ago. The business is still going. Um, my husband, as I said, it, it, my former husband is no longer alive. And I'm, I haven't been involved in the business for years, but the business is still going. So that speaks to the uh, program, and I just can't speak highly enough of it. Great, thank you. I uh, also very much enjoyed the goal and vision setting uh, session, and I was glad that we were able to come up with a vision statement that we all agreed, agreed with. I had uh, my second Meet the Mayor event that uh, was good conversations with a lot of people at the uh, at the library and a lot of topics, including the ordinance that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And I had a chance to meet with uh, Terry Steenberg, the executive director of uh, the Harbor, which was a pleasure to get to know her and uh, her ideas for the program. I. Um, went to the last meeting of the Lower Columbia Hispanic Council, the uh, Voz de la Comunidad event, and talked to the attendees and then took uh, a lot of questions. So that was uh, real, real valuable for me. And I also wanted to just pass on uh, a comment that was made on the city's uh, website today uh, from a gentleman named Randy Besick. And it refers back to something that happened in 1976. And he had just found our website somehow, randomly, and decided to write the city. He wrote, I served aboard the USS Guitaro in 1976 when we visited your city for a port call. I just want to thank all of you for your hospitality during a time when many treated those of us serving in the military very poorly. We are overwhelmed to have been so welcomed by your community in such a time. I've always had fond memories of my visit to your city and cannot thank you enough. I just stumbled across your website and thought I would share this with you. Thanks. And he left his email. So to, to all those who were in Astoria back in 1976, thank you for treating these uh, sailors so well. And then finally, I had uh, qu quite a few constituent meetings and phone calls and emails over the last few weeks on a variety of topics, um, three of them alone just run housing projects, two current housing projects and one planned housing projects. And, and some communication with city staff after that, but uh, 
I'm always happy to take emails, phone calls uh, from any constituents about any topic. And uh, that's all I have there. Next on the agenda is uh, changes. Are there any changes to the agenda? No changes. Next item is the consent calendar. The items on the consent calendar are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion unless a member of the council requests to have an item considered separately. Members of the community may have an item removed if they contact the city manager by 5 p.m. the day of the meeting. Have any items been requested and removed by the public? There have been no requests. Um, councilors, does anyone have an item you wish removed? In that case, I would uh, ask for a motion to approve the consent calendar. I move that we approve the consent calendar. Awesome. And uh, roll call, uh, Mr. Williams. Councilor Rumpkin? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Brownson? Aye. Councilor Herman? Aye. And Mayor Jones? Aye. Regular agenda items. All agenda items are open for public comment following deliberation by the City Council. And um, if audience members would like to make public comment after any agenda item, just raise your hand. And if you wish to speak, you'll be recognized at the podium uh, after you state your name and address in the three minutes. Uh, the first agenda item is 8A, second reading and adoption unlawful transfer ordinance. And I will note that uh, I've been asked to allow public comment. We had a public hearing on this uh, at our last meeting, and I will open it up for, uh, I'll extend the public hearing and open up for public comment again tonight after first, uh, we'll ask Mr. Estes to do the introduction, if any counselors have any initial comments, and then I'll open the public hearing and, and then close the hearing and, and then final counselor comments. So as the mayor mentioned, uh, a public hearing and a first reading of the ordinance was held at the March 18th, 2019 City Council meeting. In order to address safety concerns and people making transfers of goods or monies between pedestrians and motor vehicles on the roadway, a prohibition on the transfer of items from a motor vehicle to a pedestrian has been proposed in the ordinance under consideration by council. I'm going to ask the mayor if uh, our police chief, uh, Jeff Spaulding, can uh, come up and provide a few additional comments. Uh, but tonight it's recommended that council consider holding a second reading and considering adopting the ordinance adding city code section 6.390 relating to unlawful transfer on vehicular portions of the rights of way. All right, Chief Spaulding. Thank you, Mayor. Members of Council, Jeff Spaulding, the police chief. Mm -hmm. um, I was asked to uh, again reiterate some of the talking points from the last council session and um, just give a little bit more history in terms of how the issue came to our attention. So we've received several complaints from business owners, uh, primarily from Safeway and also McDonald's, regarding individuals that were seeking goods from uh, passing motorists and the concerns that they had as a result. Um, the specifically with the, uh, the owner of the McDonald's contacted us and said that he's received several complaints from many of his customers telling him that they no longer want to go through the drive-through or frequent his business because of some of the problems they've had. Um, one of the issues that he also described was late at night that several individuals have knocked on windows of motorists that are in the drive-through uh, seeking um, money and that concerns those individuals and they felt that they were intimidated by that and many of them were very concerned. Our concern is a 
public safety, traffic safety issue as a result of the activity that we're seeing in certain locations in the town. And some of the things that we are most concerned about are any time a pedestrian leaves an area that they're already in that is safe and steps onto a roadway or right-of-way, that's a concern for us. Uh, most of the time the pedestrian loses when they're confronted by a motor vehicle. The other uh, concern for us is the obstructed view, especially at the location we're talking about at McDonald's. When we, uh, as most of you know, we're driving through the drive-through, making a turn out on the Marine Drive, whether you're going left or right, is always a little challenging, and customers have complained to the McDonald's owner that their view has been obstructed by individuals that are standing or sitting on the sidewalk, uh, making it harder for them to see before they can enter the roadway. The other concern we have anytime there's activity when somebody is passing something from a moving motor vehicle to a pedestrian is the fact that they are no longer concentrating their attention on their driving. And we all know that there's a lot of distracted drivers out there with the technology that we have. Uh, adding one more potential dangerous item to somebody driving just increases that level of inattention and then that concerns us. The, um, also, the concern of the potential for road rage in these types of incidents. I know personally I've driven down several streets and somebody has actually stopped in the middle of the roadway to hand uh, goods. And I don't know what it is. I assume it's money to an individual that's standing on the sidewalk. And there are people who have complained about that to me and also stated that, you know, it upsets them when somebody is doing that. And they could see the potential for a, a possible road rage situation or in the drive-through of the restaurant or at the Safeway where we're experiencing problems. Both of these locations have tried to address the problems in other manners. They've actually uh, trespassed several individuals. They found that the individuals have then gone to a, an area of the public right away to uh, continue uh, seeking donations from the public. One of the um, things that I do want to reiterate, although this may appear to be an issue that we are trying to address, it's anti-homelessness. That's not the case here. This ordinance will apply to anybody that attempts to uh, seek goods from somebody in a motor vehicle, the occupant, the passenger, the driver, the motor vehicle with a pedestrian. This would apply to whether it's a Girl Scout, whether it's a firefighter doing their boot fundraiser, or uh, any other individual who would um, approach a vehicle or the vehicle would stop to give somebody money or other goods. So it, it's not selecting any particular individual. And again, this is not an anti-panhandling ordinance. We are not trying to prohibit panhandling. We're simply saying take it somewhere where the vehicle can park legally and do it safely. That's all we're asking. Eight other cities that I'm aware of, or maybe more, but eight other cities in the state of Oregon have passed the almost the very same ordinance and they've been successful in curbing some of the activity that we're seeing. Many of the cities have had some experience with either traffic collisions or near misses, I'm told. And I will also say that. Um, whenever we know that there's a potential for a problem and using the philosophy if it's predictable is preventable, we know that there's a high potential for an incident to occur in our city and if we can prevent that, then that's what we would like to do. I will also tell you, and I think our traffic engineer, Mr. Harrington, would also tell you that part of traffic engineering is to seek experience from other jurisdictions in order to make uh, individual locations safer, and that would be part of, of you know, their recommendation as well. The eight other cities include Springfield, Coos Bay, Albany, Medford, Umatilla, Rogue River, Roseburg, and Newport PD. Uh, some of them have had the ordinance, as far as I can tell, at least back to 2011, some as recent as 2017. And again, they've all reported, at least the ones I've talked to, that this has uh, improved the situation. 
the, uh, one of the important things also to reiterate as well is our enforcement strategy. Again, what we're trying to do is just uh, potentially alleviate a potential traffic-related problem, and our strategy would be to, if this ordinance were to pass after the 30 days, we would do an education campaign alerting uh, people in our community about the potential problems using social media or local media outlets, uh, get the word out, and then at some point um, during that 30-day period, we would post signs alerting individuals in, in some locations where the problem seems to be uh, more um, extreme. And at that point then, you know, if officers observe activity, they will give warnings and we will do that for a period of time. And then as a last resort, if there's somebody who's been warned and they're not being compliant, then they would receive a citation. And the fine, we went on the low end of the spectrum. We have seen that some cities have charged as little as $50 all the way up to $1,000. We opted for the low end of the scale at $75. And again, I, I think it's going to be pretty minimal when we would even issue a citation. And that's also the experience from the other cities that I've spoken to as well. So um, that's uh, pretty much what I wanted to share with you this evening. So if there's any questions. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. So I want before um, this item came on the agenda at our last meeting, I, I and I'm, I'm pretty sure my colleagues as well, took quite a bit of time to do as much research into it as I could. And to the extent I can have a competent legal opinion, which I wouldn't pay for it, but I'm happy to hold it, uh, it, it appeared to me that the ordinances that have been found unlawful are ordinances that restrict free speech, i.e. they banned people were making requests of other individuals. And this ordinance doesn't do that. It simply says that if someone wants to give somebody something from a car, just pull off the road into a parking spot. And it, to me, it seems uh, eminently reasonable to simply ask someone to pull off an active roadway onto a legal parking space before affecting a transfer of property, whether it's to someone asking for money, to as the Chief said to fire department holding the boots out, or Girl Scouts asking to sell cookies, and that all those activities would be prohibited from a road, from the roadway. So I'm I'm comfortable that it's an eminently reasonable uh, requirement to pull your car off the active roadway before engaging in any kind of passing of goods from the vehicle outside the vehicle. Are there any other comments before we open public hearing? Okay, in that case, I will now open the public hearing, and if you wish to speak, please come to the podium, give your name and address, and you'll have three minutes. Justinian the first. 
he was reduced to begging for alms. Note the astonished soldier in the background as the woman and child extend mercy and help. Some of the historians claim to be Christians. As such, I will remind us that we pray to a homeless deity born of migrants in a stable associated with a gang of apostles who manufactured and distributed alcohol without a license and was chief conspirator in the theft of a cult as well as impeding commerce, he overturned the tables in a temple, if I'm not mistaken, using a scourge of knotted cords. Not for my preaching, forgive me. Um, last August, the ACLU has sent 61 Oregon cities and towns, putting them on notice that prohibitions of the exercise of free speech, including ordinances similar to this one, were unconstitutional. The intent of this is obvious. This is to impede, this is to, to, to discourage, this is to stop people from appealing for help, which has been upheld in 51 cases. Every single case that had made it to the Supreme Court as being an exercise of free speech and protected speech. I won't go into the details, I only have three minutes, but I ask you to please reconsider this. This is capricious, it is austere, and it is completely unnecessary. We have laws on the books for people who impede traffic, who people, for people who menace and make other people feel uncomfortable. There are plenty of laws that can be applied to that. This is merely an attempt to stop donations, including donations of food, to the people who are the weakest and most needy in our society, people who need drug treatment, people who need housing, people who need food, and the money that can be used to buy them. And every time, I have always given them a dollar bill. I, I merely ask them not to buy the wrong type of Chardonnay. Mayor Jones, counselors, thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Bill Van Ostrin. I live at 92027 Glasgow Drive, Astoria. Um, I rise today um, because uh, I, I rise today as a citizen and not as a minister. Um, I participate, as you know, in several uh, service and civic organizations in town because I'd like to be a participant in the place where I've chosen to live. Uh, for example, I'm the volunteer treasurer on the board of the harbor, not because I know very much about domestic violence, but because I'm heartbroken when human beings damage each other in relationships, and I want to do everything I can to empower that advocacy that takes place and provides uh, rescue and shelter for people in need. Uh, I volunteer on the Army Center board, and probably the most significant contribution I make to the board, besides the fundraising committee, is every Tuesday and Friday, nearly every Tuesday and Friday during the season, I clean toilets. It's not a sexy job, but it has to be done in order that the service can be open so that people don't die of exposure. Um, one of the civic organizations with which I participate, which has members that span the entire uh, breadth of Clatsop County, 
has received this resolution written by me and Larry Taylor and um, nearly unanimously uh, approved it. And I offer it now in, uh, for your consideration. Um, regarding the treatment of those experiencing homelessness in Astoria, whereas Astoria is in the midst of a homelessness crisis, and whereas homelessness is not a crime, and whereas those who are most vulnerable and cannot support themselves are forced to solicit money from passers-by, and whereas people without resources cannot physically pay fines, and whereas the enforcement of regulations and the issuing of citations have not solved the downtown parking problem, uh, that's almost a metaphor for our treatment of homelessness. Our, our first response was, let's make citations. That didn't create any more parking opportunities. Whereas the city of Astoria is at present working on a forgiveness plan for those who are indigent and have amassed a large amount of fines, and whereas there does not exist a worthy alternative daytime place for those who are at risk to be, or sufficient employment opportunities for them to earn money, and whereas even for those who are employed, the cost of living in America today has grown logarithmically, while wages have stagnated or decreased, and whereas it is estimated that 63% of Americans today could not weather a $500 emergency, and whereas it is incumbent upon all of us with resources to speak, advocate, quote unquote, fight, for those who cannot speak, advocate, fight for themselves, and Larry added this one, I assure you, the golden rule calls for us to treat others the way we wish to be treated. Therefore, be it resolved that the Clatsop County Central Committee requests the Astoria City Council discontinue pursuit of a plan to further penalize poverty and reconsider their decisions to further punish those who do not have the resources to live and look for positive, effective examples dealing with panhandling used elsewhere in Oregon rather than jumping only to enforcement. Thank you very much. Pastor. Any other uh, public comments? Okay, the public hearing is closed. Council comments. Was there, was there, Chief Spalding, was there anything you wanted to clarify from comments you've heard, or are you satisfied? Thank you, Mayor. I would just like to add that I actually agree with Pastor Bill and pretty much everything he said and the other gentlemen here. Uh, many of the things that he's asking for in that resolution, we are working on as a community. We have a homelessness solutions task force that we are working through and trying to find solutions for many of the other issues in this community. This is just one, one small issue out of this whole community. Again, it's not targeted homelessness or homeless individuals. It's, it's all about safety. And I just want to reiterate, we're not targeting homeless people. We just want people to, uh, if, if people feel compassionate and they want to be able to provide them with something, we just want them to do it from a position of safety. So that, that's what we're asking for. So I do appreciate people like Pastor Bill, who was part of our, our task force, and I appreciate his passion and compassion. And you know, we need people like that in our community to, um, to attack this tremendous problem. And as he said, homelessness crisis in our communities. Thank you. Thank you.
Councillors? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I guess just to start with, I, I would say that, uh, you know, like Pastor Bill, I volunteered at the warming center, and in fact, I cleaned toilets there and vacuumed and, and those kinds of things. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the warming center, and I actually wish that they could operate a longer period than they're allowed to operate. Uh, I think the warming center is one place that we can put our donations and our wishes to help in the community as is helping hands, as would be the drop-in center that Nell and Rick are trying to pull together so that people will have a place to go during the day. I, I strongly support all of those things. Over the years, I've done programs uh, on homelessness for KMUN and interviewed homeless people at the, at the warming center. And, and, and one thing that's really clear, I hate to see us doing is talking about the homeless as if it's a an amorphous mass of people. Homelessness is a thing that's made up of all kinds of different people with all kinds of different issues and needs and problems, ranging from people with mental illness to people who got a divorce or lost a job and just came up there on the street. And they're as surprised at being out there as, as you would be. And so to talk about them like they're this amorphous mass doesn't serve them very well. And I think the people who are the, the, the very tiny percentage of people who may or may not be homeless, who are being very aggressive and, and begging uh, at the places that you mentioned, um, are kind of giving a bad name to homeless people in general. At Rick and Nell had a meeting about their proposed day drop-in center recently at which a number of homeless people were present. And two things stuck out at me. One was the actual affection they had for the police department. I mean, Kenny Hansen to them is, is, is just this wonderful person who cares about them and, and looks after them. Uh, and the other thing is what the people who were there said about the people who are uh, out um, doing the panhandling. And they said, they're not from here. And I, you know, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the impression I got, that they are as, they're, they're irritated by it, the people who are homeless who, who are here. So, I mean, that's kind of a background. I hate to see us broad brushing anything, everything. And I agree with what Ted said, if, if that's what we were doing, if we were, if we were condemning homeless, people and, and dismissing them and saying they, they weren't mad at me, they weren't human. But that's not what we're saying. And I agree with Pastor, Pastor Bill. So I think within the limits being expressed by this, by this proposed ordinance and knowing where the chief is coming from and where his heart is based on his, based on his actions up until now. I'm not talking about what people say but what they do and what our police department has done. I'm comfortable with it, and I can support it. Thank you. Well, I had some concerns after we received an email, um, I believe it was yesterday, and I'll just quote a little bit of it. And the writer, um, who I don't know if she submitted this, so I'm not going to identify her, officially submitted it as a public document, but she stated, quote, that the proposed panhandling ordinance 
um, as she labeled it, was, quote, morally reprehensible and completely offensive. Um, so I was concerned, and, um, and then we received the resolution from the Clatsop County Democrats, of which I am a frequent participant, although I wasn't at that meeting because I just had some minor surgery. Um, so again, I reached out to the police chief, the city manager, and our attorney, Mr. Henningsgaard. Um, I also called the ACLU and the League of Oregon Cities to touch base with their lawyers. Unfortunately, didn't hear back from any of them. Um, but we did get a thorough report from Mr. Henningsgaard about the history of um, the U.S. Supreme Court's rulings on these so-called panhandling ordinances. And some of them originally did violate the First Amendment because they were, they were too broad. And as a former journalist and as an American, um, I would live and die by the First Amendment. I'm a frequent uh, demonstrator um, in town. In fact, I'm going to one on Thursday. But at what point must we watch out for our brothers and sisters, as you said, Mr. Thomas, by looking out for their safety? Um, you know, at what point are we saying, you know, this is not, this is not worth risking. If one person were injured, you can shake your head. But if one person were injured, and that is a very real possibility, especially if, as we've heard, and the police chief, that some of these um, folks who are requesting money are aggressive. We, the city and the city council, would be castigated. We potentially, I'm, sir, I'm speaking right now. You can roll your eyes. Um, we would be criticized. We would, we would be accused because, sir, oh well, do whatever you're gonna do. We would, we would be, no, no, sir, I'm not quite done. You invited me up to the podium. No, no, I, 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 I meant, no, no, you were moving your hand and I was just choosing was to, to not to respond anymore. I'm sorry. If you're addressing me, I think I should have an opportunity I, to speak. Sorry, I will well, be quiet from here on out. We would be criticized if one person were injured. It is, I feel it is my moral responsibility um, to pass this ordinance. And I, the main point I guess I want to make is all somebody has to do is legally park and then they can give a donation. That's all. I don't see the big deal in that. I do see a big deal in risking safety, especially for some people who may not be able to watch out for themselves because of mental illness or addiction. But I appreciate the passion of all of you who have spoken. Um, this was really difficult for me. Uh, so much so that I, again, I met with Chief Spaulding um, to get a better sense of, of what was behind this ordinance and uh, where um, the Astoria Police Department was coming from when they proposed it. I called my parents. Um, in the hopes that they wouldn't be disappointed in me. I never want to make it more difficult for someone to uh, survive. And I, I think that that's where a lot of um, 
the passion and the perspective that it comes from. And again, Ted and Pastor Bill, I thank you both really for your contributions um, tonight and, and just to the homeless community as well, which Roger, I thought, made a really excellent point that it, it's not a homogenized group. Um, and because of that, I think that like with anything, I tend to look for the answer in the middle. So if, if we were to not pass this ordinance, for instance, um, we would essentially be ignoring the safety issue that is very much an issue. Um, we would also be ignoring the concerns of, of the business owners that are, are, are just as passionate and, and fiery as, as the individuals who spoke tonight and who have sent us emails. Um, this is impacting their lives and well-being also. Uh, if it was a ban on panhandling, there's no way that I would support it. If it was an overarching, um, uh, just a complete draw against people's uh, uh, ability to access um, the things that they need to just to get by or to survive. Um, and there are cities who have tried to do that. That is, again, not what the police department is trying to do. It's certainly not... Uh, what I'm trying to do as a city councilor, I do feel like there are way more effective ways of supporting that particular population um, without uh, damaging local businesses or causing any kind of safety violations or concerns. Um, and I mean, Pastor Bill gave a great list of everything that he's involved with and of course, I encourage people to to go that route um, if because it's important. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Thank you. Yeah, I support the ordinance. Um, I don't have too much to add. I think that um, all councilors have spoken pretty clearly, uh, and I agree with their assessment. This is really a very simple thing. This is not a, uh, anything that's going to uh, create extraordinary hardship. And we, and we aren't going after panhandlers. So uh, we are just dealing with uh, a tough situation. And I, and I think if a person really wants to care, and if they want to donate, I think that's the way to go. I think we have a warming center that needs support. I think Helping Hands always needs support. Uh, river folk can use your support. You know, what uh, Mary Doherty does out there in, in getting IDs for homeless individuals is they can uh, have a chance to do more with their lives, to take a step out. I think for me, personally, that's what I want to support. And I want to support all the efforts that are going to help people get on their feet again. Um, I'm not an advocate of handing all bills out. Mr. Thompson, because I more want to hand all this out to people that can actually give real help to these individuals. So uh, I think this is pretty simple. Uh, everything shows me uh, our attorney, Mr. Hensgard, has assured us that uh, we're pretty pretty safe ground. We're not restricting handling here, and I'm not going to support anything that would actually get in the way. Of, uh, 
the office need to get a little something to get through today. So that's it. Thanks. I support this. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, I would only add, if I may, that to the one organization I neglected to mention that also deserves our support is filling empty bellies. Right. Um, so we have lots of good organizations in this community who are doing great work, and, and that's an avenue for us to actually have an effect by digging down and supporting them. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Brooks, could we have a second reading of the ordinance? An ordinance revising ordinance 6.390 relating to unlawful transfer on vehicular portion of the right-of-way and revising ordinance 1.010 relating to penalties. Could we have a motion to adopt the ordinance? I move that we adopt the ordinance. I'll second that. A roll call, Chief uh, Crutchfield. Councilor Herman? Aye. Councilor Branson? Aye. Councilor West? Aye. Councilor Robin? Aye. And Mayor Jones? Aye. Item 8B is contract approval for the Aquatic Center, Center filter system. Thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you. The Astoria Aquatic Center was built in 1997-98, and the original fiberglass sand filter vessels are still currently in use for the recreation pool. And the fiberglass filter vessel is significantly worn after years of use due to the abrasive nature of the media inside of which uh, does the uh, filtration. Staff recently noted signs of extreme stress on the exterior of the vessel in the form of cracks and extrusions of fiberglass material. These are indicators that its integrity is compromised and failure may be imminent. It's recommended that the existing filter be replaced with two smaller Pent air filters that can be isolated for more efficient operation in the future. In addition to the instability of the sand filter, staff has observed higher levels of combined chlorines in the recreation pool water chemistry. And the most effective and long term method of reducing controlling all combined chlorine is to install ultraviolet sterilization systems to neutralize the bacteria and other organisms. Staff has selected, solicited vendors uh, for the replacement of the filter vessel and installation of the UV system and received a bid from the pool and house spa, excuse me, the pool and spa house for $83,997.92. The uh, contractor who solicited the bid is aware that all work must be completed in advance of the end of this school year when use at the center typically increases. I would note that $82,000 of the project's cost would be paid using capital improvement funds allocated to the Parks Department, and the remainder would be provided from the Parks Operation Fund budget. So tonight it's recommended that the City Council approve the contract for replacement of the recreation pool filter and the installation of a UV system with the pool and spa house for the amount of $83,997.92. Our Parks Director, Tim Williams, can answer any specific questions if you have any. Well, we got 21 years out of that system. That's, that's pretty good, I think. So I hate to have such a big bill pop up, but uh, long-term maintenance is uh, a fact of life. Any, any questions for Mr. Williams from anybody? I, I have just a few. Um, first, I know that the Parks Department attempted to get two other bids, but we were only able to get one. So I'm wondering, do you have a sense of whether it's in the ballpark of what you expected to pay? 
Yeah, it, it, it's in the ballpark, definitely, because uh, we're doing both of the needed procedures to the pool, uh, which will save us about eight to ten thousand dollars with through mobilization and, and uh, having the same contractor on, uh, re you know, replacing the filter right. and also the UV system. Okay, and um, will the UV filter reduce the amount of chlorine needed in the future? Yes, yes it will, and, and also the UV system also uh, helps reduce that. Okay. And, and, and Councilor, may I have a follow-up sure. question to clarify a bit more? Um, Mr. Williams, is it correct we already have a UV system in use over at the Aquatic Center? That's correct. That's for the lap pool at this point in time. The recreation pool does not have that. Okay, and then just one last question. Um, it kind of jumped out at me that our packet mentioned that the chlorine levels are approaching unsafe levels in the recreation pool. Is there a risk, I mean, is there a way to rectify that before uh, we get this new equipment, or is there a risk that we could go into that unsafe level before then? Well, we, through the, the health departments, uh, we, we, we're still under that radar right now, but uh, with this uh, process moving up to replacing that filter and the UV system. Uh, we watch it carefully. Uh, we try to keep the down uh, as far as we can through uh, application of chemicals and, and other processes. Okay, thank you. Um, I would just like to say when I got to tour the aquatic center and it was already on your your staff's radar and Jonah showed me exactly what needed to be done and, and where the work needed to happen and um, spoke uh, to all of the incredible benefits of, of using a UV filtration system. So it is a big bill, but it's I actually think it's really exciting that, that you guys are moving forward with this. Um, and I actually, by the size of the filtration system, I actually would have thought it would have been a lot more expensive, but so. Yes, the, the UV system and the, the new uh, filter will, will reduce down any kind of bacteria. Uh, cryptosporidium is one of the biggest concerns they have across the country in, in pools that can shut it down for months. And uh, this process will help eliminate that significantly. Well, I'd like to uh, make a motion to approve the contract for the replacement of the recreation pool filter and installation of the UV system at the pool and spa house for the amount of $83,997.92. I'll second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Item 8C is authorization to solicit bids for the 2019 timber sale the Fat Buck Creek Combo. <laughs> you thought the council would like that. <laughs> it sounds like a hunter's wishful thinking. So a shelterwood and thinning forest harvest project is proposed for 33 acres on the Bear Creek watershed for the summer of 2019. The harvest is located on the far eastern boundary of the property on a flat ridge between Fat Buck Creek, and that, that is the name of the creek, and Cedar Creek. These harvests are designed for long-term water quality and also forest health goals. Our city forester, Ben Hayes, will be providing some additional information tonight, and uh, Ben, if you want to start coming forward. I would note uh, that uh, 
the timber sale uh, funds that come in from um, any proceeds after uh, doing this work uh, would be going into the capital improvement fund. And uh, it's estimated that this project would uh, be estimated to be $180,000 after harvest and necessary reforestation costs. Tonight it's recommended that council authorize staff to solicit bids for the 2019 timber sale, the Fat Buck Creek Combo. And Ben, if you want to give a little bit more information. Yeah, so I'm going to start, um, Ben Hayes, Managing Forester for the Astoria. I'm going to start with a little bit of background. Um, so we have some newer counselors on where this is. Kind of this pointer actually works. It doesn't, it's going to sneak up here. So we're out here. And there's a faint red line, and that's actually the city of Astoria's watershed. So the city's very unique that it owns the entirety of its drinking watershed in three different creeks about 10 and a half miles from here. So that's the, that's the background, the big picture view. Uh, zooming in a little closer, this is the watershed's outline with large streams in blue. And the area that we're looking at operating in is in the top right corner. So I'm going to walk through kind of where we're looking at really quick summary of what we would be doing there and then zoom back out to the bigger picture of the ecological goals that we have with the property. So zooming in a little bit more, uh, in the top left corner there you can see the main reservoir and the four sand filters where we're looking at working this year is on that eastern and northern boundary of the property, very close to where we worked last year. Uh, this is an area that was primarily reseeded after harvest. The entire watershed was harvested under prior owners. So basically every acre of this property was cut prior to 1954. Uh, this was probably regenerated sometime in the 1940s. So the new trees that grew up were almost all hemlock and dug fir. So our goal there is to create more complexity and diversity, decreasing the risk to water in the future. So how do we get more species, more age classes, so that if you had some disturbance come through, like fire, pest, pathogen, any of those big droughts is one we've thought about a lot, you're mitigating that risk of having any water quality impact. So this has been the goal of harvests over the last 10 to 15 years. So zooming in even further, uh, we've split it up into three different sections. Uh, I'll talk about what they are really quickly. Shelterwood uh, is the treatment that we're planning on the top two, and then that bottom area we're planning on going through and thinning. <coughs> And what you're doing in a forest is basically managing the density of trees and the species composition of trees. So if you looked up, you don't want to have just one tree and you don't necessarily want it to be entirely closed to sunlight. So a really good way is to look up in a forest or look straight down in a forest. Uh, this is thinning. So on the right, you can see high density forest. On the left, you can see that it's been thin. So we go through and we select out certain trees um, and increase the growing space available to each tree. This is a variable retention or shelter wood harvest. You're taking out slightly more of the trees and the goal there is to regenerate a second bunch of trees underneath it. So you can always have forest cover in two different age classes. Um, so you have both young trees and older trees growing in the same forest. Uh, those are the two treatments we would be combining into our combo harvest this year. It's buffered back from all of the creeks 100 to 150 feet. Uh, in that, we're also doing a little bit of road work <coughs> built into the contract, and that's a big piece of what we do on the watershed in terms of managing the road network such that we can decrease the risk of any sediment from roads getting into the source water. So, happy to take any questions. 
How do you say would that all of Oregon's forests were managed in this way? It's an example that we can have with the management forest for clean water, clean air, carbon sequestration, and still get our harvest. Yeah, thanks, Ben. We're, we're, we're so fortunate, as Roger said, to, to be able to have a 3,900-acre watershed that we own that will give us fresh, clean water in perpetuity as long as it's properly managed as you're continuing to do the work of your predecessor. And the fact that we can also generate revenue that we're able to uh, selectively log less than 1% every year and get revenue for the community as well as keeping logging jobs alive, it's, it's a win-win. I, I do have just a couple questions, Ben, especially since I'm one of the new people on the council and I haven't been able to get out in the watershed yet, but I definitely want to do that. I'm just curious, how diverse um, are the species of trees in the watershed? Yeah, so uh, compared to if you had like a perfectly even species distribution, we have seven dominant species on that property. It's not evenly distributed between those. So about half of our volume is in western hemlock. And then there's a significant component of Douglas fir, and then the remainder is Sitka spruce, western red cedar, and red alder. Um, those are sort of the main species. Compared to other forests in the area, though, it is a highly diverse forest. So it has higher diversity starting out. So where we are working are places that we see the lowest diversity and the highest risk. Um, we also are working in places that are easier to operate around water resources. So being able to stay back from streams without building or taking out any old roads. Okay, and um, we read in our report that the needle cast, is it a bacterium? Yeah, so Swiss needle cast is a fungus that actually attacks Douglas fir, and what it does is it plugs their vascular system, essentially, so they can't breathe. And the result of that is they don't actually die, but they stagnate. So this part of the coast is very heavily hit by it. It's moved in fog, and fog really exacerbates it. Um, and so we get the Swiss needle cast in these duck fur stands, and then they just stop growing. So in these treatments, we actually remove 100% of the Douglas fir. The Douglas fir that is in this forest primarily came, we think, from British Columbia, and was aerially reseeded, actually, with an airplane after they harvested it, probably sometime right around World War II. Okay, and you may have already mentioned this in your presentation. What will you be seen with as far as species goes? Yeah, so we have been replanting primarily with western hemlock and then increasingly with western red cedar. Western red cedar is highly uh, resistant to most pests and pathogens that we have in this area and where western hemlock regenerates so it comes back on its own very, very well naturally, western red cedar does not regenerate very well naturally and actually elk really like to eat it. So we try to plant enough of it that we can kind of overwhelm the appetite of the elk for a couple of years. Okay. And then the hemlock come back on their own very, very well. And do you have to fertilize? We do not do any fertilization or chemical application anywhere okay. in the watershed. Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Oh. Well, hey, hey, Ben. <laughs> Just so tough. Well, <laughs> it feels like a slow night for me. Um, April 1st. Yeah, a couple things. Um, first, thank you for the work you're doing up there. And uh, it's been a couple years. I, I got to go up there when I was first on the council. And uh, I'd actually like to do that again. I'd like to go up there and take a look and see the difference because I saw some areas where you were about to cut, areas where you had recently cut. And I'm really curious to see kind of what they look like two years later down the road. Yep. Um, 
watch that that grow. I I think it is great that you know it's so important that uh, we have this watershed and that it is managed for the safety and welfare of the community. And it, by doing so, we get these best practices going on over and above the call. So I do appreciate that and. Um, One question, and this is a little bit aside, but because you're up there, it seems to me we've had on the coast a, a pretty dry winter. And I, I've been starting to think about how, how well is our watershed holding up under these conditions? Are we going to, if it continues this trend, if we don't get a, I mean, how, how is that look? How's the retention for our water supply going into summer? Yeah, I think that. Jeff is probably better equipped to answer the big picture water supply question. In terms of forest management, uh, a number of studies have actually recently come out from the EPA showing that the type of management we're practicing increases base flow rates considerably. And so that's where we're really interested in how do you create a more complex forest where you are having the maximum base flow coming out of the source streams into the system that you possibly can through a dry winter. Um, in terms of overall water system availability, I believe it's been good all winter, um, even with the drier January and February. Yeah, I've been um, tracking, it's called Drop Watch, you can Google it and find it, but we're in a moderately, or abnormally dry uh, period right now. We're kind of pulling out of that. There, there's, if you look at it, um, it, it encompasses our area and down the coast just a little bit, but uh, California and the Southern Oregon coast is, is normal. And if you looked at that, drought monitor for the last four or five months, you see that we're kind of pulling out of this drought area. The Central Oregon was in a, in a more extreme drought scenario and it's dropping back too. So with, with the rainfall, we're going to get 10 straight days of rain here. If things keep up being somewhat wet, we'll be in pretty good shape. Well, we're in good shape anyways. We have a pretty good reserve. Our reservoirs are all full. Um, even if we had no rain, we have pretty solid supply of what we call our, our rain pack. It's, you know, it's a joke term, but it's, instead of rain pack, we have the saturated, or snow pack, we have the, the rain pack, the saturated soils. So the water will keep seeping out of the, uh, out of the ground in the creeks throughout the spring. And this, the yeah, and the reason I was curious, because I also, you know, I watched the weather, and we can see that this has been a very interesting winter where California and Southern Oregon and Central Oregon and, and the valley has been getting a lot of rain, but it's been just kind of missing us a lot. Yeah. And, and, they, and kind we've of got this huge snowpack up there as a result, so we're in good shape up in the mountains there, but I kept seeing us getting missed, so that, that's what kind of prompted the question. Yeah. We're also not, our, our, our dam's not spilling like it normally would be this time of year, too, if you were up there to see the dam. And you see a lot of water spilling over this time of year. This, this year in particular, you're not seeing as much. And one unique thing this year is we actually did have a snowpack up there as well. So at one point we had over three feet of snow on the top yeah. of the watershed. So you'll often go through a story and then get up there and it's actually raining hard or snowing up there when it's not doing anything sure. here. So it's this big yeah, thing we'll station up there. The top of it, I believe, is 2,700 feet. 2,700, yeah. Thank you. Great, thanks. Well, could we have a motion? I'm happy to move to offer the staff to solicit bid for the 2019 timber sale Fat Butt Creek Combo. Say that again. Fast. Fat Butt Combo. 
I'm going to second that. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Item 7D is consideration of the library strategic plan. So the Library Foundation is currently engaged in fundraising for an eventual library innovation. And the foundation, through their consultant, Bruce Matz, who the city has used over the years for a number of library planning activities, has requested that there be an updated Astoria Public Library strategic plan. The previous plan expired in 2011 and would no longer be applicable. The updated plan provides a comprehensive framework for library staff as the city continues to seek ways to expand services in the current footprint and prepares to provide uh, them for a uh, renovated library. The draft strategic plan was reviewed and approved by the Library Advisory Board at their February 26th meeting. Tonight it's recommended that Council accept the strategic plan. No presentation. No presentation. But, uh, no, no presentation. I'm sub are subject to your questions. Any, uh, any comments on the library strategic plan? Well written. No, I was impressed. I don't have any questions about it. I, I don't have any questions either. I love the plan. Um, I just can't wait until we can remodel our library. Agree. Execute the plan. Very good. Well, in that case, uh, can we have a motion? strategic plan. As Roger knows, uh, being an announcer, normally you should go over your script and you should make sure that you can articulate everything you're about to say. I did not do that uh, this evening. I will second that motion. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Congratulations. The library strategic plan is in effect. Thank you. Thank you for all your work on the strategic plan. I would also like to thank my board members in the audience, David Roser. Thank you, David. Uh, that concludes the normal agenda. Are there any comments from the public on any other topics? Good evening, Jen Fitzpatrick at uh, 1046 Grand Avenue. Um, in light of the interesting discussions we've had the last couple weeks about um, passing of money to those who are money or other items to those who are, are asking, uh, I would recommend that you look into bringing back parking meters, but that are not used for parking, but are used for um, as receptacles for donations, for funds, for different organizations that we want to support. There are a number of them mentioned today. Um, this is a pro there, this program is going on in the city of San Luis Obispo, California, where I came from three years ago, and as far as I understand, it's been very successful. They have seven different meters throughout the city. Uh, places, easy pedestrian, friendly places where people can, can drop change um, and see who they're donating to or, or what organization they're donating to. And it's a very easy way to collect funds. And I believe it's, it's collected thousands of dollars in the last five years. I believe it, they were installed in 2014. So I would recommend that maybe the city look into that. There was talk of bringing back parking meters, so maybe they're sitting somewhere and they can be painted and more colorful and appealing. 
uh, colors and run back maybe in a more positive direction than, than being installed for parking, collecting parking revenue. That's a very interesting idea, thanks. Yeah, no cases yet of anyone going all cool hand Luke on the parking meters. <laughs> no. Okay. I just had a question, Shannon. What if I was gonna look if I was gonna Google something, what is does that have a is there an organization behind that or so I looked up San Luis Obispo parking meter to fund homeless. Okay. Thank you. Change for change. Thank you both. Good evening. I'm Dan Gaffney. I live at 41327 Hillcrest Loop. Post office asked for you. Um, and I just want to thank you very much for your proclamation to, uh, to support the, the Week of the Young Child. Uh, as Aaron mentioned, uh, I can't really quit. I, I was a professional educator for 37 years and spent the last uh, what, six or seven years uh, really advocating for our youngest kids. Because I realized <clears throat> after being a high school teacher, a middle school administrator, a district level administrator, an elementary principal, that the sooner we start, the better we are, off we are as a community. Um, the uh, kinds of things we've been able to do uh, and it's not just me, but I'm aware of these kinds of things and been involved in most of them. Uh, working and learning from our local child care and preschool providers in terms of what they're dealing with. As a, as a K-12 educator, I, I had a sense, because I was a, a special ed director for a while, but I didn't fully understand. Uh, really understanding the whole child, dealing with the health and the uh, social service providers and getting their understanding. Uh, it does take a village to raise a child, and, and that's what Astoria, Codson County is, is, is about. Uh, I moved here 30 years ago, that's what I was struck by. Uh, the uh, Oregon Community Foundation funding allowed us to, uh, to create Kinder Ready, which embraced the zero to six year old, zero to eight year old, uh, and, and uh, working with their families and, and those who work with those kids. Um, we helped establish uh, the, the state what created the, the early learning hubs and we helped create our local hub uh, that serves our county and two others. Uh, we also were involved in helping class of uh, version of Way to Wellville get established. Um, the, uh, that led to us being able to uh, have the county awarded one of eight federal grants to do a preschool feasibility study uh, this past, well, it took us about 18 months, uh, finished that up about, about six months ago. Uh, from that, we learned a great deal and we established stronger uh, understandings and connections. Uh, the Hub, the Early Learning Hub, now has another grant which they're using to springboard off of the work from the feasibility study. And why do we do this? Because we know that high quality child care and preschool gets kids ready for kindergarten. If they're ready for kindergarten, they have a much greater chance of being readers in third grade, which is the number one predictor for high school graduation. And you know that Oregon's high school graduation rate is not something we're proud of. Um, you, a, you can continue. Thank you, I'll, I'll be as quick as I can, but, but really it's, it's the why. It also reduces chronic health issues. 
it reduces criminal justice issues and costs. It reduces social service costs. And this is based upon national research. Uh, and it increases individual economic status as well as our community's economic well-being. Uh, quality workforce, quality life. That's what we're about. Um, what we're after right now is truly trying to find new funding sources or new funding partners. Um, the state, the city of Astoria, can only do so much. School districts are doing what they can. Uh, private pay, it's roughly $10,000 a year for childcare. Many times families can't afford that. So somebody stops working. Normally it's the mom. We talk about equity in our country and our world. That's, that's not equitable. Uh, currently, about half of our kids have some kind of childcare preschool. <coughs> many, many more need it. And the ones that need it the most are the ones who don't have it. And then when we really look at the quality that could be provided, we're lacking. Uh, our childcare and preschool providers earn about 50% of what a kindergartner makes. And they don't get the added benefits and medical benefits and vacation sick leave and that type of thing. So we have a tough time holding on to quality child care and preschool providers. Um, so that's why it really is a call to unique funding partnerships and sourcing. Um, and that's my passion. But I can't do it by myself. That's why we've engaged the Early Learning Hub to take this next grant. That's why we're reaching out to others. But the bottom line is your support your, is greatly appreciated and is critical to the improvement of our community. So thank you. Thanks very much, Dan. So I didn't catch it at the beginning. So what organization are you affiliated with? Are you doing this just as a private individual? Or are you part of, are you operating I, under someone's auspices? I'm not employed by anybody at this point in time. Are, is there a specific group you're volunteering with that you're doing this work? Because you said we a lot, I'm just not sure who the we is. Well, part of it was Class of Kinder Ready, which was initially created because of the funding from Oregon Community Foundation. Uh, I was hired by the county to do uh, the preschool feasibility study lead uh, that covered Class of Antoma counties. Um, I, uh, I, I work closely with uh, uh, the, the five school districts of our county. Uh, as well as the Child Care Resource Referral. Uh, I was on the board for the Early Learning Hub. Uh, so there's a multitude of, of ways in which I've tried to be involved and, and share the information that I've learned and, and catalyze the change because I don't have an employer that I can go to and say, we need to fund this, but I do have a community that I know cares. And I just want to continue to get the word out and remind people and, and help do what we can. There's some other things in, in the works, um, but uh, right now, Dan Gaffney, you're volunteer. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I couldn't agree more how critically important it is to focus on our youngest members of our community. And um, stick around after I get your email address, maybe we can meet for lunch, talk some more about it. I'd like that. Thank you. Any other public comment? David Ozer, 254 West Irving. I just want to speak uh, this evening as a member of the Historic School Board. The probably on our wish list, number one, is more 
early uh, uh, child care. It really is a critical issue. We have one uh, class that's been operating now for a couple of years, one classroom at Gray School um, that can only take, I think, 16 kids a year. The issue for us is money. It costs between $125,000 and $150,000 a year to run a preschool class because of regulations. You need two teachers. So this is, if, 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 you know, we've got a lot of things that we would like to do, but this is number one. So we absolutely are, are as strongly in favor of anything that can be done in this community to uh, improve our, our preschool programs. Thank you. Is that was part of the problem with Grace? It's just it's a physical space capacity issue. We, have, we actually have more more uh, room at Grace. We can hold more more classes there. Okay, thank you. Going once, going twice. So that concludes this meeting of the City Council.